I mostly read public domain books here on Glenn Reads Books to You, and they were written a long time ago, so they're usually racist or sexist or bigoted. But in there somewhere is a story, and uh, that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist. But they might have uh, adult language or adult situations, like, uh, oh, I don't know, making sex. Uh, So that's your warning. But I'm sure you're grown up enough to handle it. Uh, Don't write to me complaining. Oh, hello, and welcome to the... Glenn Reads Books to You Mansion. Why did I rename myself? Because I, I can't count on social media anymore to promote me. Uh, I realize that the name Leaves of Glenn is uh, pretty obscure. No one's going to have any idea what the heck that podcast's about. Uh, so uh, now that I realize you, know, you can't count on anything, especially Twitter and whatnot, uh, I decided I'm going to move on. I'm going to rename and rebrand the show. So now it's just flat out really uncreative Anyone can find it by a basic search. Glenn reads books to you. Isn't that fun? Nah, that's fun. This new world we live in. Well, welcome to the Glenn reads books to you mansion. It's a fun little bit where I pretend to live in a mansion and not just recording in my basement. This is where I read the hottest public domain books and short stories. This week, we're going to read The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Uh, It's a book that a friend of mine, Backy Wop, uh, asked me to read roughly two years ago. Uh... I didn't want to, because I've read this book before, and I disliked almost every single character in it. Uh, I get that that's the point. They're all unlikable people, including uh, the protagonist. But, uh, man, man, is it tough to get through. Uh, So I just sat on it for a long time, but now I've run out of stuff to read, and so there you go. Uh, My friend is finally getting what he asked for. And you can find him over at Versimilitudino.us, (laughs) which I'll link in the notes. Uh, about the author, F. Scott Fitzgerald? Sure. Uh, he was born September 24th, 1896, and he died December 21st, 1940. Uh, Francis Scott Key Fitzgerald uh, was an American novelist, essayist, and short story writer. He's best known for his novels depicting the flamboyance and excess of the Jazz Age, a term that he popularized in his short story collection, Tales of the Jazz Age. During his lifetime, he published four novels, four story collections, and 164 short stories, uh, though uh, he achieved some temporary uh, success and fortune in the 1920s. Fitzgerald received critical acclaim only after his death and is now widely regarded as the greatest American writer of the 20th century. Now, one of them. Want to hear some fun facts? Well, I'll tell you one of the fun facts that stands out for me is I grew up in Minnesota, where all you hear about is F. Scott Fitzgerald. We got theaters named after him, streets named after him. We're all required to wear a t-shirt with his name on it uh, at least once a week. And he was born into a middle-class family in St. Paul, Minnesota. Want to hear some fun facts? Uh, Yeah, we got some more. Uh, From History.com, his most famous work was considered a flop upon its release. Despite winning rave reviews from the likes of T.S. Eliot and Edith Wharton, Fitzgerald's 1925 masterpiece, The Great Gatsby, was uh, never a bestseller in his lifetime. Oh, it performed poorly compared to his first two novels, selling just over uh, 20,000 copies and only turning a meager profit for its publisher. Popular interest in the book didn't spike until World War II, when some 150,000 copies were shipped to the U.S. servicemen overseas. Combined with other posthumous uh, re-releases of his work, the uh, this Armed Services Edition 
helped revive Fitzgerald's literary reputation and secure The Great Gatsby as a place among the most beloved American novels. The book now sells some 500,000 copies every year. Uh, Want to hear uh, some more? Sure, why not? Uh, I got some time before the grandfather clock goes off telling me to shut up and stop babbling and start reading the story. His wife, Zelda, was considered the quintessential 1920s flapper, in quotes. Shortly after its publication of uh, This Side of Paradise, Fitzgerald married Zelda Sayer, the daughter of an Alabama judge. Beautiful and unpredictable, Zelda was a major inspiration for the new generation of a liberated, quote, flapper girls. Fitzgerald often wrote about his novels and stories. Uh, she smoked eh, and drank in public, cracked risque jokes, and was an accomplished painter, dancer, and writer. The couple's fashionable clothes and booze-fueled antics made them the toast of the literary world. Writer Ring Lardner even called them the prince and princess of their generation. But their glamorous lives were later visited by tragedy in the 1930s. Fitzgerald sank into alcoholism and struggled to write, and uh, Zelda suffered a mental breakdown and spent the latter part of her life in and out of sanitariums. Well, with that, uh, I guess that's a great note to go and uh, start uh, reading the first chapter of this book. Well, there you go. Why don't you get yourself settled here in the library of my mansion? It's a bit I can't let go of. Uh, as I read chapter one of The Great Gatsby. In my younger and more vulnerable years, my father gave me some advice that I've been turning over in my mind ever since. Oh, whenever you feel like criticizing anyone, he told me, just remember that all the people in this world haven't had the advantages that you've had. I didn't say any more, but we've uh, always been unusually communicative in a reserved kind of way, and I understood that he meant a great deal more than that. In uh, consequence, I'm inclined to reserve all judgments, a habit that has opened up many curious natures to me, and also made me the victim of uh, not more than a few veteran bores. The abnormal mind is quick to do, detect and to attach itself to this quality when it appears uh, in a normal person. And so it came about that in college I was unjustly accused of being a politician. Oh, because I was privy to the secret griefs of wild unknown men. Most of the confidences were unsought. Uh, frequently, I have feigned sleep, eh, preoccupation, uh, or a hostile levity when I realized uh, by some unmistakable sign that an intimate revelation was quivering on the horizon. For the intimate revelations of young men, or at least the terms in which they express them, are usually plagiaristic and marred by obvious suppressions. Reserving judgments is a matter of infinite hope. I'm still uh, a little afraid of missing something that I forget that, uh, as my father snobbishly suggested, that I snobbishly repeat, a sense of the fundamental dependencies is parceled out unequally at birth. And, uh, oh, after boasting this way of my tolerance, I came to the admission that it has a limit. Conduct may be founded on the hard rock or the wet marshes, eh? but after a certain point, I don't care what it's founded on. When I come back from the East last autumn, I felt that I wanted the world to be in uniform and at a, a sort of uh, moral attention forever. I wanted no more riotous excursions with privileged glimpses into that human heart. Only Gatsby. 
the man who gives his name to this book, was exempt from my reaction. Gatsby, who represented everything for which I uh, have an unaffected scorn. If personally is an unbroken series of successful gestures, then there was something gorgeous about him. Oh, some heightened sensitivity to the promises of life. As if, it, as if he were related to one of those intricate machines that register earthquakes 10,000 miles away. Oh, oh, this responsiveness had nothing to do with that, that, that flabby uh, irresponsibility, which had dignified under the name of the creative temperament, in quotes. Oh, it was an extraordinary gift for hope, a romantic readiness, such as I have never found in any other person, which is not likely I shall ever find again. No, Gatsby, it turned out uh, all right at the end. Nah, it was what preyed on Gatsby. That foul dust floated in the wake of his dreams that temporarily closed out my interest in a, in a board of sours and short-winded elations of men. My family have been prominent, well-to-do people in the middle western city for three generations. The Caraways are something of a, eh, of a clan. Ah, we have that tradition that we're descended from the Dukes of uh, Bukaluch. Not going to look that up. But the actual founder of my line was my grandfather's brother, who came here in 51, sent a substitute to the Civil War. Oh, that's a... That's the thing I read about a long time ago, sending a substitute. If you didn't want to go to war, especially the Civil War, you just hire a poor person and you pay him to go out there and do it for you. And started the wholesale hardware business that my father carries on today. Oh, I never saw this great uncle, but I'm supposed to look like him. Uh, with special reference to the rather hard-boiled painting that hangs in the father's office I graduated from in New Haven in 1915. Uh, yes, yes. Just a quarter of a century after my father. Burp. And a little later, I participated in uh, that delayed Teutonic migration known as the Great War. I enjoyed the counter raid so thoroughly that I came back restless. Uh, instead of being in the warm center of the world, uh, the Middle West now seemed like the ragged edge of the universe. So I decided to go to the East and learn the bond business. Everyone I knew was in the bond business. Nah, so I suppose to support one more single man, <laughs> all my aunts and uncles talked it over as if they were choosing a, a prep school for me. And finally they said, why, uh, yeah, yes, that's Y-E-M-E-S, with a very grave, hesitant face. Father agreed to finance me for, ooh, a year, and after various delays, I came east, permanently, I thought, into the spring of 22. The practical thing was to find rooms in the city, but it was a, a warm season, and I had just left a country of wide lawns and friendly trees. So when a young man at the office suggested that we take a, a house together in a commuting town, oh, it sounded like a great idea. Now he found the house, that weather-beaten cardboard bungalow of 80 a month, but at the last minute the firm ordered him to Washington, and I was out in the country alone. I had a, I had a dog... Or at least I had him for a few days till he ran away. And an old Dodge uh, and, a, and, a, and a Finnish woman who made my bed and cooked breakfast and, and, and muttered Finnish wisdom to herself over an electric stove. Oh, it was lonely for a day or so. Until one morning, some man, more recently arrived than I, stopped me on the road. Oh, how'd you get to the uh, West Egg Village? He asked helplessly. And I told him. As I walked on, I was lonely no longer. I was a guide, a pathfinder, an original settler. He had casually conferred to me on the freedom of the neighborhood. And so, with the sunshine and the great bursts of leaves growing on the trees, just as things grow in fast movies, I had that familiar conviction that life 
was beginning over again with the summer. Oh, there's so much to read. For one thing, there was so much fine health to be pulled out of the young, breath-giving air. I bought a dozen volumes on banking and credit and investment securities, and they stood on my shelf in red and gold, like new money from the mint, promising to unfold the shining secrets that only Midas and Morgan and Messinus knew. And I had the high intention of reading many other books. Besides, I was rather literary in college, and one year I wrote a series of, oh, I don't know, very solemn and obvious editorials for the Yale News, and now I'm going to bring back all such things into my life and become again uh, that most limited of all specialists, the, quote, well, well-rounded man, unquote. This isn't just an epigram. Uh, life is, is much more successfully looked at from a, a single window, after all. Always oh, a matter of chance that I should have rented a house in one of the strangest communities in North America. It was on that slender, riotous island, which extends itself due east of New York, and where there are, uh, among other natural curiosities, two unusual formations of land. Uh, Twenty miles from the city, a pair of enormous eggs identical in contour and separated by a courtesy bay, uh, jut out uh, into the most domesticated body of salt water uh, in the Western Hemisphere, uh, and the great wet bar, uh, barnyard of Long Island Sound. Oh, they, they're not just perfect ovals. Uh, like the egg in Columbus's story, they are both crushed flat at the contract, uh, contact end, uh, but their physical resemblance must be a, a source of perpetual confusion to the gulls that fly overhead. To the wingless, uh, a more arresting phenomenon is, uh, is their dis- dissimilarity. Well, I'm going to look that one up. I just want to make sure I'm saying it right. Dissimilar. Dissimilarity. Not alike. Yeah, I know what it means. I just want to make sure I'm saying it right. In every other particular except shape and size. I lived at the West Egg. The uh, dash, well, the less fashionable of the two, though this is a more superficial tag to express the bizarre and not the uh, little sinister contrast between them. My house was at the very tip of the egg, eh? only 50 yards from the sound, and squeezed between two huge pieces that rented for twelve or 15000 a season. Oh, the one on my right was a colossal affair by any standard. It was a factual imitation of some Hotel de Ville in Normandy, with a tower on one side, eh? and uh, spanking under a new thin beard of raw ivory, and a, and a marble swimming pool, and more than 40 acres of lawn and garden. Oh, it was Gatsby's mansion. Or rather, as I didn't know, Mr. Gatsby. Oh, it was a mansion inhabited by a gentleman of that name. My own house was an eyesore, but it was a small eyesore. And it had been overlooked, so I had a view of the water, eh? a partial view of my neighbor's lawn, and the con- the consoling proximity of millionaires, all for $80 a month. Across the courtesy bay, the white palaces of fashionable East Egg uh, glittered along the water, and the history of the summer really begins on that evening. Oh, I drove over there to have dinner with the Tom Buchanans. Daisy was my second cousin, eh, once removed, and i known Tom in college. And just after the war, I spent two days with them in Chicago. Oh, her husband, among various physical accomplishments, uh, had been one of the most powerful ants that ever played football in New Haven. A national figure, in a way. Uh, one of those men who reached such an acute, limited excel- excellence at uh, 21, and everything afterwards savors of uh, anti-climax. His family were enormously wealthy. Even in, even in college, his freedom with money was a matter of approach. But now he'd left Chicago and come back in a fashion that 
rather took your breath away. For instance, uh, he brought down a string of polo ponies from Lake Forest. Eh? Uh, it was hard to realize that a man in my own generation was wealthy enough to do that. Oh, uh, why they came east? Oh, I, I don't know. They had spent a year in France for no particular reason, and then drifted here and there unrestfully, wherever people played polo and were rich together. This was a permanent move, said Daisy over the telephone, but I didn't believe it. I had no sight into Daisy's heart, but I felt that Tom would drift on forever, seeking, a little wistfully, for the dramatic turbulence of some irrecoverable football game. And so it happened that on that warm, windy evening, I drove over to East Egg and, uh, and see two old friends whom I scarcely knew at all. Their house was even more elaborate than I expected, a cheerful red and white Gregorian colonial mansion overlooking the bay. Uh, the lawn started at the beach and it ran toward the front door for a, for a quarter of a mile and jumping over sundials and brick walls and burning gardens. Uh, finally, when it reached the house, drifting up to uh, the side in bright vines as though for the momentum of its run, the front was broken by a line of French windows, glowing now with reflected gold and, 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 and wide open to the warm, windy afternoon. And Tom Buchanan, eh, in riding clothes, was standing with his legs apart. That's weird. On the front porch. He had changed since his New Haven years. Now he was a sturdy, straw-haired man of uh, eh, 30 with a rather hard mouth and a supercilious manner. Two shining, arrogant eyes had established dominance over his face and gave him the appearance of always leading aggressively forward. Not even the effeminate swank of his riding clothes. Oh, the effeminate swank. Uh, could hide the enormous power of that body. Oh, he seemed to fill those glistening boots until he strained the top lacing. Ah, you can, ah, you can see a great pack of muscle yeah, shifting when his shoulder moved under his thin coat. Ah, yeah, it's a body capable of enormous leverage. Ah, a cruel body. His speaking voice, a gruff, husky tenor, added to the impression of the factitiousness of the conveyed. Uh, there was a, a touch of paternal contempt in it, uh, even toward people he liked. And there were men at New Haven who had hated his guts. Oh, now I don't think my opinion on these matters is final, he seemed to say. Just because I'm stronger and more of a man than you are. Yeah, that's in quotes. Uh, we were in the same senior society, and while we were never intimate, I always had the impression that he approved of me and wanted me to like him uh, with some harsh, defiant wistfulness of his own. Oh, we, we talked for a few minutes on a sunny porch. Uh, I, got, I got a nice place here, he said, his eyes flashing about restlessly. Turning uh, me around by one arm, he moved a broad, flat hand along the front fist, including in his uh, sweep a sunken Italian garden, a half acre of deep, pungent roses, and a snub-nosed motorboat that bumped into the tide offshore. It belonged to uh, Domain, the oil man. He turned me around again, politely and abruptly. Uh, well, uh, we'll go inside. We walked through a high hallway into a bright, rosy-colored space. Fra fragilely bound into the house by French windows at either end. The windows were ajar and gleaming white against the fresh grass outside that seemed to grow a little bit around the house, and a breeze uh, blew through the room. It blew curtains in at one end uh, and out at the other, like pale flags, twisting them up toward the frosted wedding of this cake of the ceiling, and then it rippled over the wine-colored rug, making a shadow on it as a wind does on the sea. 
The only completely stationary object in the room was an enormous couch on which the two young women were buoyed up as though they were an anchored balloon. Uh, They're both in white, and their dresses were rippling and fluttering as if they had just been blown back in after a short flight around the house. I must have stood for a few moments listening to the whip and snap the curtains and the groan of a picture on the wall, and then there was the boom as Tom Buchanan shut the rear windows and caught the wind eyed out of the room, and the curtains and the rugs and the two young women ballooned slowly to the floor. The younger of the two was a stranger to me. She was extended full length on her end of the divan, completely motionless, and with her her chin raised a little as if she were balancing something on it, eh, which was quite likely to fall, and if she saw me out of the corner of her eyes, she gave no hint of it indeed. I was almost surprised into murmuring an apology for having disturbed her by coming in. The other girl, Daisy, made an attempt to rise. She leaned slightly forward with a conscious expression. Uh, then she laughed. <laughs> an absurd, charming little laugh. <laughs> and I laughed, too. <laughs> it came forward into the room. I'm P-paralyzed with happiness. She laughed again, <laughs> as if she just said something very witty. And then she held my hand up for a moment and looking, uh, looking me into my face and promising that there was no one in the world she so much wanted to see. That was the way she had. She hinted in murmur that the surname of the balancing girl was Baker. I'd heard it said that Daisy's murmur was only to make people lean toward her, uh, in a relevant criticism that uh, made it no less charming. At any rate, Miss Baker's lips... Hmm, her lips fluttered, yes, and she nodded at me almost imperceptibly, and then quickly tipped her head back again. The object she was balancing had obviously toitered, uh, or tottered, I think it's tottered, a little, and given her something of a fright. Again, a sort of apology arose to my lips. Almost any exhibition of complete self-sufficiency draws a stunned tribute from me. I looked back at my cousin, who began to ask me questions in her low, thrilling voice. Oh, I was... His kind of voice that the ear follows up and down as if each speech uh, was an arrangement of notes that will never be played again. Her face was eh, sad and lovely with bright things in it, bright eyes eh, and a bright passionate mouth. Uh, but there was an excitement in her voice that uh, the men who had cared for her found difficult to forget. A singing compulsion uh, whispered, Listen, a promise that she had done uh, gay, exciting things, just as a while that there were gay, exciting things hovering in the next hour. Oh, I told her how I had stopped off in Chicago for a day on my way east, and how uh, a dozen people had sent their love through me. Do they miss me? She cried ecstatically. Eh, the whole town is desolate. All the cars have uh, the left rear wheel painted black as morning wreath, and there's a persistent wail all night long on the northern shore. Ah, oh, how gorgeous. Let's go back, Tom, tomorrow. And then she added irrelevantly, Oh, you had to see the baby. Uh, I'd like to. Yeah, she's asleep, and she's three years old. Haven't you ever seen her? Never. Well, yeah, to see her, she's... And then there's a bunch of M-dashes. Just a big, long line for no reason. And then Tom Buchanan, who had been hovering uh, restlessly about the room, stopped and rested his hand on my shoulder. Yeah, what, you, what you doing, Nick? I'm a bond man. Uh, who with? And then I told him. Never heard of him, he remarked decisively. Well, this annoyed me. Uh, you will, I answered shortly. You will if you stay in the East. 
I'll stay in the East. Don't you worry, he said, glancing at Daisy and then back at me as if he were alert for uh, something more. I'd be a, I'd be a goddamn fool to live by anywhere else. At this point, Miss Baker said, absolutely, with such suddenness that I, uh, well, that I started. And it was the first word she uttered since I came into the room. Uh, evidently, it surprised her as much as it did me, for she yawned with a series of rapid, deft movements, uh, stood up into the room. I'm stiff, she complained. I've been lying on that sofa for as long as I can remember. And don't look at me, Daisy retorted. I've been trying to get you to New York all afternoon. No, thanks, said Miss Barker to the four cocktails just in, in, from the pantry. I'm absolutely in training. Well, her host looked at her incredulously. You are, he took down his drink as if it were a, a drop in the bottom of a glass. How do you, you ever get anything done is beyond me. I looked at Miss Baker, wondering what it was she, quote, got done. I enjoyed... Hmm, looking at her. She was a slender, eh, eh, small-breasted girl uh, with an erect carriage. Ooh, that's sexy. She has an erect carriage, which she uh, accentuated by throwing her body backward at the shoulders like a, like a young cadet. Our gray, sun-strained eyes looked back at me with a polite re uh, reciprocal curiosity out of a wan... Charming, discontented face. It occurred to me now that I had seen her, or a picture of her, somewhere before. You live in West Egg, she remarked contemptuously. I know somebody there. Well, I think that's a pretty good place for us to stop. Uh, hearing about this small-breasted woman with, uh, with an erect carriage kind of got me a little moist. Got me a little wet. And I want to... Dip my toes into that lake? No, I want to go all in on that lake. I want to get fully wet. So why don't we go upstairs to the master bedroom, which is another little bit I like to do here in the mansion, where I uh, tell you about the latest in romance literature from Penguin Random House Books. I'll meet you up there. I'm coming. Here I come. I just had to go take a leak. I haven't done that piece for a while. Oh, oh, wow. Here you are laid out across my master bed, which is in a heart shape, and it's a waterbed, which is... The physics are tough to do with that, but I did it, and boy, do you look good as you're spread out for the first time actually naked across my bed. It's a little weird you're wearing a chef's hat, but uh, ah, there you are. You're pointing at a book for me to uh, review here. It's called Cook For Me by Alexander McCall Smith. It's part of a, a vintage short. Uh, well, you want to learn about Cook For Me? Sure, it's the reason why we're here. Uh, Kate Donald's Aunt Ness announces that she's heading to Canada for a late-in-life gap year. This is already laborious. Asking Katie to take over management of her matchmaking bureau in her absence. This is ridiculous. Katie, who is already ready for a new challenge, enthusiastically accepts the offer. Taking charge of the Perfect Passion Dating Company at number 24 Mouse Lane in Edinburgh's new town. This is completely just mouth garbage. Although Katie has little in the way of direct experience with the help of her amiable and handsome uh, office neighbor, William Kidd, she soon finds herself making matches for the Lonely Hearts, tired of meeting online. And, uh, who, who want more of a personal touch? 
In Cook For Me, the first installment of Alexander McCall's Smith's Perfect Passion Company series, this is completely ridiculous, Katie's first client is retired online uh, airline pilot named David, who is looking to settle down. As Katie questions him about his previous relationships, it becomes clear that David is keen on finding a partner who enjoys cooking, in particular one who would enjoy cooking for him. Their first and most... I think you just want a slave then at that point. You're not looking for someone that's into cooking. You're just looking for a slave. Their first and most logical stop is to cook at school. Oh, thinking that this might be the perfect place to find a woman with a natural joy for cooking. Soon enough, an introduction is made that will undoubtedly lead to the fulfillment of David's desire. Uh, But not exactly in the way that he was expecting. With an innate instinct for bringing people together, Katie learns quickly on the job, developing a skill for finding out what it is that people really want. Along the way, Katie learns profound lessons about her own desires as she works at better understanding others. For fans of Alexander McCall Smith's many beloved series and romantic standalone novels, the Perfect Passion Company series uh, shows him at his most perceptive, playful, and generous. The way that the only that McCall Smith can. All these tales offer a glimpse inside the psychology of matchmaking. Ugh, my lord. And the search for love and companionship, and the mysterious spark of attraction that can, at times, catch hold of us all. Well, that sounds like horseshit, and I was frustrated just reading it out loud. That's uh, Cook For Me by Alexander McCall Smith. It's part of the uh, vintage short uh, category romance. It's an e-book coming out on February 14th, 2023. It's uh, available at Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, uh, Google Play Store, and Kobo. Well, that pisses me off. Uh, It was just uh, completely absurd that you have some weird matchmaking thing that you decide to leave town for and have, like, what, what, your niece? I don't even care anymore. Some family member's got to come in and take over all the matchmaking that has to be custom done by one person. That's why they're paying top dollar for it. And then also you you get an airline pilot saying, I I just want someone to cook for me. I just want a slave, basically. I just want someone who just shuts up and does the thing I want them to do because it's what gets me off. Uh, that's not a story I want to be a part of, and so now I am not aroused anymore. Your naked visage does nothing for me. Uh, so why don't you uh, take that goddamn hat off and uh, get your clothes on and meet me back down in the library. Well, there you are. Came back down to the library. Glad to see you got your clothes on. I was getting tired of looking at those areolas. Uh, but I see you're still wearing the dumb hat, the chef's hat, which I, I find insulting. But I got to get through this book. I got other things to do today here in my mansion. So let's pick up where we left off. I don't know a single big M dash. Well, you must know Gatsby. Gatsby, demanded Daisy. What's Gatsby. Before I could reply that he was my neighbor, uh, dinner was announced. Wedging his tense arm imperatively under mine, Tom Buchanan compelled me from the room as though we were moving a checker to another square. Slenderly, languidly, uh, their hands set lightly on their hips, the two women preceded us out into the rosy-colored porch open toward the sunset, where four candles flickered on the table in the diminishing wind. Why candles, in all caps, objected Daisy, frowning. She snapped them out with her fingers. In two weeks, it'll be the longest day of the year. She looked at us all radiantly. Do you always watch for the longest day of the year and then miss it? 
I always watch for the longest day of the year and then miss it. We ought to plan something, yawned Miss Baker, uh, sitting down at the table as if she were getting into bed. All right, said Daisy. What do we plan? Now she turned to me helplessly. What do people plan? Before I could answer, her eyes fastened with an odd expression on her little finger. Look, she complained. I heard it. And she, uh, we all looked, and the knuckle was black and blue. Oh, you did it, Tom, she said accusingly. I know you didn't mean to, but you did it. That's what I get for marrying a brute of a man, a, bi- a great big hulking physical specimen of a M-dash. I hate that word hulking, objected Tom crossly. Even in kidding. Uh, hulking, insisted Daisy. Sometimes she and Miss Baker talked at once, unobtrusively, and with a bantering inconsequence that was never quite chatter, uh, that was uh, as cool as their white dresses, and as impersonal eyes and the abs- absence of all desire. Oh, they were, uh, they were here, and they accepted Tom and me, making only a polite, pleasant effort to entertain or to be entertained. They knew that presently dinner would be over, and a little later in the evening, too, would be over and casually put away. It was sharply different from the West, where an evening was hurried from phase to phase towards its close, in continually disappointed anticipation, or else in sheer nervous dread of the moment itself. Uh, you, may, you, you make me feel uncivilized, Daisy, I confessed on my second glass of corky, uh, but rather impressive claret. Uh, can't you talk about uh, crops or something? I meant nothing in particular by this remark, but it was taken up in an unexpected way. Civilization's going to pieces, broke out Tom violently. I've gotten to be a terrible pessimist about things. Have you, have you read The Rise of the, the Colored Empires? Oh, God, here we go. By this man Goddard? Why, uh, no, I answered, rather surprised by his tone. Well, it's a fine book. Doesn't sound like a fine book. And everybody ought to read it. The idea is if we don't look out... Oh, God, here we go. The white race will be yeah, will be utterly submerged. It's all scientific stuff. It's been proved. Uh, Tom's getting profound, said Daisy, with an expression of unthoughtfulness in her eyes. Uh, he reads deep books with long words in them. Uh, what was the word we... Well, these books are all scientific, Tom uh, insisted, glancing at her impatiently. This fellow has worked out the whole thing. Oh, it's up to us, who are the dominant race, to watch out, or these other races will have control of things. Hey, we gotta beat him down, whispered Daisy. Oh, so great, Daisy's in on this, too, winking ferociously toward the fervent sun. Uh, we ought to live in California, began Miss Baker. But uh, Tom interrupted her by shifting heavily on his chair. Uh, 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 this idea uh, is that we're, uh, we're, we're Nordics. I am. Huh? Burp. There we go. And you are. Uh, and you are. After infinitesimal hesitation, he included Daisy with a slight nod. And we, uh, she winked at me again. I just burped again. And we produced all the things that go to make civilization. Oh, science and art and all that. Uh, do you see? Well, there was something pathetic in his concentration, as if his uh, complacency, more acute than of old, was not enough of, uh, of to him any more. When almost immediately the telephone rang inside, and the and the butler left the porch. Daisy seized upon the momentary interruption, leaned toward me. "I'll tell you a family secret," she whispered enthusiastically. "It's about the butler's nose. Do do you want to hear about the about the butler's nose? Uh, that's why I came over tonight." Well, he isn't always a butler. Uh, he used to be the silver polisher for some people in New York that had a, a silver service. 
for 200 people. Uh, he had to polish it from morning till night until finally it began to affect his nose. Things went from bad to worse, suggested Miss Baker. Yes, things went from bad to worse to, uh, until finally he had to give up his position. For a moment, the last sunshine fell with romantic affection upon her glowing face. These people are morons. This is the reason why I have a hard time with this book. And they're racist. Her voice compelled me forward breathlessly as I listened, and then the glow faded. Each light deserting her with lingering regret, like children leaving a pleasant street at dusk. The butler came back and murmured something close to Tom's ear, whereupon Tom frowned and pushed back his chair and without a word went inside. As if his absence quickened something within her, Daisy leaned forward again, her voice glowing and singing, I love to see you at my table, Nick. Uh, you remind me of a dash of a of a rose. Huh? Huh? An absolute rose. Yeah, it, I, it doesn't he? As she turned to Miss Baker for confirmation. An absolute rose? Well, this is untrue. I'm not even faintly like a rose. Uh, she was only extemporizing. Uh, but the, the stirring warmth flowed from her, as if her heart was trying to come out to you, concealed in one of those breathless, thrilling words. Then suddenly she threw her napkin on the table and excused herself and went into the house. Uh, Miss Baker and I exchanged a short glance, consciously devoid of meaning, and I was, I was about to speak when she sat up alertly and said, Shh! In a warning voice. Ish. A voice? I don't think you're really using your voice when you say shh. A subdued, impassioned murmur was audible in the room beyond, and Miss Baker leaned forward, unashamed, trying to hear. Oh, the murmur! The murmur trembled on the verge of coherence, and sank down, and then mounted excitedly, and it ceased altogether. This Mr. Gatsby you spoke of, my neighbor, I said. Don't talk. I want to hear what happens. Is something happening? I inquired innocently. Uh, you mean to say you don't know, said Miss Baker, honestly surprised. I thought, I thought everybody knew. Well, I don't. Why, uh, she said hesitantly. Tom's got some woman in New York. I, I, I got some woman, I repeated blankly. Miss Baker nodded. Uh, she might uh, have the decency not to tell him at, uh, at dinner time, uh, don't you think? Almost before I had grasped her meaning, there was the flutter of a dress and the crunch of leather boots. And Tom and Daisy were back at the table. Uh, it couldn't be helped, cried Daisy with tense gaiety. And she sat down, glanced searchingly at Miss Baker and then at me, and then continued, I looked outdoors for a minute, and it's very romantic outdoors. Uh, the, uh, the, there's a, this bird on the lawn that I think might be a, ooh, I don't know, a nightingale. It came over on the cunard or white star line. Uh, he's singing away, uh, her voice sang. It's uh, romantic, isn't it, Tom? Uh, uh, very romantic, he said, and then miserably to me, if it's light enough after dinner, I want to take you down to the stables. The telephone rang inside, startlingly, and as Daisy shook her head decisively at Tom, the subject of the stables, in fact, uh, all subjects, vanished into air. Among the broken fragments of the last five minutes at the table, I remember the candles being lit again pointlessly as uh, I was uh, conscious of wanting to look squarely at everyone and yet to avoid all eyes. Now, I couldn't guess what Daisy and Tom were thinking, but I doubt if even Miss Baker, who seemed to have mastered a certain hearty skepticism, was able to utterly put the fifth guest's shrill metallic urgency out of her mind. Uh, to a certain temperament, the situation might have seemed intriguing. Eh, my own instinct was to, to telephone immediately for the police. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but the horses, 
needless to say, were not mentioned again. Tom and Miss Baker, with several feet of twilight between them, strolled back into the library, as if uh, to a vigil beside a perfectly tangible body, while uh, trying to look pleasantly interested and uh, a little deaf, I followed Daisy around a chain of connecting verandas to the porch in front. In its deep gloom, we sat down side by side on a wicker settee. Hmm. Daisy took her face in her hands, as if feeling its lovely shape, and her eyes moved gradually out into the velvet dusk, and I saw that turbulent emotions possessed her. So I asked what I thought would be some oh, sedative questions about her little girl. Uh, we, don't, we don't know each other very well, Nick, she said suddenly. Even if we are cousins, you didn't come to my wedding. I wasn't back from the war. That's true, she hesitated. Well, I've had a very bad time. Nick, I'm, I'm pretty cynical about everything. Evidently, she had reason to be. I waited, but she didn't say any more, and after a moment, I returned rather feebly to the subject of her daughter. Oh, I, oh, I suppose she talks and uh, dash eats <laughs> and everything. Oh, yes, she looked at me absently. Oh, listen, Nick, let me tell you what I said uh, when she was born. Uh, would, you, uh, would you like to hear? <sighs> Very much. It'll show you how I've gotten to feel about dash things. There's a lot of M dashes in this story. Well, she was less than an hour old, and Tom was God knows where, and I woke up out of either uh, with a with an utterly abandoned feeling and asked the nurse right away if it was a oh I don't know a boy or a girl it told me it was a she told me it was a girl, and so I turned my head away and wept all right, I said, I'm glad it's a girl, and I hope she'll uh, she'll be a fool. Oh, that's the best thing a girl could be in this world, a, a beautiful little fool. You see, I think everything's terrible anyhow, she went on in a convinced way. Everybody thinks so, and the, the most advanced people. And I know, in all caps, I've been everywhere and seen everything and done everything. Her eyes flashed around her in a defiant way, rather like Tom's. And then she laughed, yeah, with a thrilling scorn. <laughs> yeah, sophisticated. God, I'm so sophisticated. The instant her voice broke off, ceasing to compel my attention, my belief, I felt basic insincerity of what she had said. Oh, oh, it made me uneasy. As though the whole evening had been a, a trick of some sort uh, to extract contributory emotion from me, and I, I waited. And sure enough, in a moment, she looked at me with an absolute smirk on her lovely face, as if she had asserted her membership in a rather distinguished secret society uh, to which she and Tom belonged. Inside, the crimson room bloomed with light. Tom, Miss Baker, sat at either end of the long couch, and she read aloud to him from the Saturday Evening Post. The words, uh, murmurous and uninflicted, running together in a soothing tone, uh, the lamplight bright on its boots and dull in the autumn leaf yellow of her hair, glinted along the paper as she turned the page with a flutter of slender muscles in her arms. Then we came in, and she held us silent for a moment with a lifted hand. To be continued, she said, tossing the magazine on the table, in our very next issue. Her body asserted itself with a restless movement of her knee, and then she stood up. Ten o'clock, she remarked, apparently finding time on the ceiling. Uh, time for this good girl to go to bed. Jordan's going to play in the tournament tomorrow, explained Daisy, over at Wetchester. Uh, you're Jordan Baker? 
and I knew why her face was familiar. Its pleasing, contemptuous expression had looked out at me from many rotogravure pictures of the sporting life at Asheville and the hot springs in Palm Beach. I had heard some story of her, too, a, a critical, unpleasant story. But uh, what was it that I'd forgotten so long ago? Good night, she said softly. Wake me at eight, uh, won't you? If, you? if you'll get up, I will. Good night, Mr. Carraway. Uh, see you or not. Of course you will, confirmed Daisy. In fact, I think I'll arrange a marriage. Come over often, Nick, and I'll sort of, oh, fling you two together. You know, lock you up uh, accidentally in linen closets and push you out to sea in a boat and, uh, and all that sort of thing. Uh, uh, good night, called Miss Baker from the stairs. I haven't heard a word. Now she's a nice girl, said Tom after a moment. They oughtn't to let her run around the country this way. Oh, who oughtn't to? Uh, inquired Daisy coldly. Her family? Her family is one aunt, about a thousand years old. Besides, Nick's going to look after her, aren't you, Nick? She's going to spend lots of weekends out here this summer, and I think the, the home influence will be very good for her. Daisy and Tom looked at each other uh, after a moment in silence. Eh, is, she, eh, is she from New York? I asked quickly. Eh, from Louisville. Uh, our, our white girlhood has passed together there. Our beautiful white, big long dash. Did you give Nick a little heart-to-heart -heart talk on the veranda? Demanded Tom suddenly. Oh, did I? She looked at me. I can't seem to remember, but I think we talked about the Nordic race. Yes, I, I'm sure we did. It sort of crept up on us. The first thing you know, don't believe everything you hear, Nick, he advised me. I said lightly that I had heard nothing at all, and a few minutes later I got up to go home, and then they came to the door with me and stood side by side in a cheerful square flight, and I started my motor. Daisy uh, uh, peremptorily called, Wait! I've got to ask you something. It's important. We heard you were engaged to a, a, a girl out west. That's right, corroborated Tom kindly. Uh, we heard that you were engaged. That's yeah, libel. I'm too poor. <laughs> yeah, but we heard it, insisted Daisy. Surprised me with uh, opening up again like a, in a flower-like kind of way. And we heard it from three people. So it must be true. Uh, of course, I knew what they were referring to, but I wasn't even vaguely engaged. The fact that Gossip had published the bands, I don't know what the bands are, the bands of two ends, was one of the one of the reasons I had come east. You can't stop going with an old friend on account of rumors, and on the other hand, I had no intention of being rumored into marriage. Their interest rather touched me, and I made them less remotely rich. Nevertheless, I was confused and a little disgusted as I drove away. It seemed to me that the, that the thing for Daisy uh, to do was to, to rush out of the house, child in arms, but apparently there was no such intentions in her head. As for Tom, the fact that he had, quote, had some woman in New York was really less surprising than he had uh, been depressed by a book. Something was making him nibble nibble at the edge of stale ideas, as if his sturdy physical egotism no longer nourished his preemptory heart. Oh, already it was deep summer on the roadhouse roofs and in front of the wayside garages where new red gas pumps sat out in pools of light. And when I reached my estate at West Egg, I ran the car under its shed and I sat for a while on the abandoned grass roller of the end. All oh, the wind had blown off, leaving a loud, bright night with its wings beating in the trees and a persistent organ sound as the full bellows of the earth blew 
frogs full of life. Ah, the silhouette of a moving cat wavered across the moonlight, and turning my head to watch it, I saw that I was not alone. Fifty feet away, a figure had emerged from the shadow of my neighbor's mansion, was standing with his hands in his pockets, regarding the silver pepper of the stars. Something in his leisurely movements and the secure position of his feet upon the lawn suggested that it was Mr. Gatsby himself. Come out to determine uh, what share of his of our local heavens. I decided to call him uh, to call to him. Uh, Miss Baker had mentioned him at the dinner, and, and that would do for an introduction. But I didn't call to him for he gave a sudden Im- imitation that he was uh, content to be alone. Oh, he stretched out his arms towards the dark water in a curious way. And as far as uh, I was from him, I could I could have sworn he was trembling. Involuntarily, I glanced seaward and distinguished nothing except for a single green light. Uh, minute and far away, that might have been at the end of a, hmm, I don't know, a dock. And when I looked once more for Gatsby, he had vanished. And I was alone again in the unquiet darkness. Well, that's the end of that chapter. That's a lot of fun. Why don't we uh, retire to the smoking room where we can review what we just read. Well, there you are. Uh, You've made it down here to the smoky room. Why don't you take a seat and have a cigarette, uh, perhaps, or a pipe. I don't know, cigar. I don't know what kind of person you are. Uh, I don't smoke. I vape. Hear that bird? My my wife put that bird here in this room. Uh, Let's recap the story that we just read here in Chapter 1. Nick Carraway had a rule for himself where he likes to reserve all judgments on people until he fully knows them, which uh, changed... After he came back from the East, we heard that right away in the beginning of the story. Uh, the East is just a weird way of saying New York. He just went to New York. Who cares? East Coast. Uh, he wants people to be in uniform and at a sort of moral attention forever. Uh, except for Gatsby, as we'll find out later. So that's kind of the thing about this story, is that... Um, I guess you finish reading the story, you get to the end where the entire story and all the people and the uh, the sequence of events play out, and then it all makes sense, and then you go back and read the intro to the first chapter, and then suddenly his little speech makes sense. Kind of a weird way of going about that, but, uh, you know, interesting. Uh, he grew up a, a rich boy in the Midwest and eventually moved out east uh, to New York to, to get into the financial trade with a, a company name that they had ever actually say. He even says, I told Tom. And then he's like, oh, I never heard of that place. So they never actually say what the name is. And he found a place to rent next to a huge mansion on Long Island. And it's eventually called, uh, called over to his cousin Daisy and her husband Tom's place on the other side of the island. Nick hangs out with them uh, and their bored friend, Miss Baker, and, and they have small talk eh, and lame, uh, have a lame meal before Tom is called away to a phone call. Daisy follows him into the other room, and they argue a lot. And then Miss Baker tells him that, oh, oh, Tom's seeing another woman in New York City. Eh, more phone calls, but no one's allowed to answer them. And eh, they have a lot of tension, a whole lot of tension in the room. And then when Tom and Miss Baker go inside to, I don't know, read to each other, Daisy confides in Nick that, uh, that she's fussed. And she doesn't really know uh, that uh, know much about her new bo- uh, daughter that she just birthed. She doesn't really uh, have much of a connection to this child she just gave birth to. The kid's barely even around. And when Nick and Daisy go inside, uh, Tom, Tom and uh, Tom and the woman, Miss Baker, uh, they're uh, they're reading to each other. 
Yeah, so there, uh, she goes to bed, uh, Nick leaves. And so when he gets home, Nick sits in his yard for a while. Uh, he sees Gatsby come out to his house, and, and Nick is going to go, oh, hi. I guess the intro, when you meet a stranger, is like, I heard other people talking about you. He thought that was good enough. Uh, and so, the, but there's nothing except the, uh, he, he sees him stretching his arms. He doesn't realize that, uh, that Nick's sitting there watching him. He just stands out there and stretches his arms across the water. And uh, and he just looks at it. And so then, uh, Nick's like, what the hell is he looking at? So he turns his head and he says, oh, there's like a green light at the end of the dock, some kind of little dumb beacon. He's just sitting over there holding his arms out to the dumb beacon. Turns back, Gatsby's gone. Uh, so basically what we experienced here in the first chapter is the first season of Vanderpump Rules. Uh, what's good about this? Well... For the first time in a while, this story that I've been reading, unlike other stories, is actually very well written. Uh, I've read this author before. I think he wrote Main Street, which is about uh, a family, a wealthy family that just moved to St. Paul, Minnesota, and uh, and uh, they moved in and they wanted to get to know everyone and be important people in the community, and then how it all kind of turns against them, because people are animals. And so he basically read, and he does a very good job getting you there. It's uh, believable without being laborious. So he's a good author. Uh, I'm afraid that the more I dig into this author as I read his chapter, I'm, I'm scared I'm going to find out that he's a horrible person. Like every author I ever read, they're all horrible people. It's uh, anything uh, beyond 20 years ago, they're just horrible people. Uh, so what's good? The writing is good. What sucks? I don't like any of the characters. Uh, they're racist. Casually racist. Just dumb racist. Oh, I read a book says I should be racist. You should really read it. Then his wife's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Turns out I'm also casually racist because he told me about this book he read. Just idiots. It's part of the reason why I have a tough time getting through this book, but it is well written. Uh, what do we learn? Well, the first chapter of, uh, sort of starts uh, kind of at the end. It's kind of wrapping up the story, even though uh, us as the reader have no idea what the hell they're talking about. Uh, after all the events that have happened, Nick is disillusioned with, quote, the East and how disingenuous everyone is uh, from what he's used to out in the Midwest. He says that right away in the beginning of the book. And you only really, really understand uh, to what extent he's talking about after you've finished the damn thing. Uh, his desire for people to be at, uh, a, quote, a sort of moral attention calls back to his uh, time in the military where interactions were predictable and guarded. Uh, something I think that he appreciated because it was safe. Uh, something that he shared with Gatsby as they both have, uh, we'll find out later, served in the military. Uh, but it's uh, something that has benefited Nick, who's more focused on the truth and probably didn't help Gatsby at all because that guy lives in a fantasy world, as you'll find out as you continue reading it. It's part of what makes this first chapter so difficult uh, for the for the new reader. Oh, uh, there's a lot of references to the Midwest as compared to the East. Uh, in the beginning of the book, it's uh, in, the, in the frame of the Midwest being stagnant, uh, where the East is full of uh, excitement and opportunity, uh, but we'll find out as the story goes on that by the end, uh, he's making it clear that everyone in the East is miserable and dishonest, in contrast to where he grew up. Uh, we also uh, got to give some credit to characters that are pretty fleshed out. Mind you, unlikable, but fleshed out. You got the uh, racially, uh, the racist and emotionally violent, uh, self-righteous Tom. Uh, you got the manipulative and emotionally needy and self-indulgent Daisy. Uh, uh, the emotionally and uh, self-serving Jordan. Uh, the author has set up a running theme uh, of like parties throughout this book, which we'll find out as we go on, uh, which is constantly filled with tension and misery. 
And as the chapter ends with an ongoing theme of uh, Gatsby reaching out to Daisy uh, in the past, because that's uh, a thing we're going to find out later. They dated once, and so now he's just obsessed with her. So he stands there on the banks of his uh, lawn and holds his arms out to her, reaching out to the past, the nostalgia that uh, he feels, which is uh, probably symbolized by the Green Beacon. So that's kind of our first chapter. It's a little bit heavy. Not a lot going on in it, but uh, once you finish the book and you go back to the first chapter, you go, oh, look at that. Oh, you really set it all up. Too bad you got to read the whole book to hear it. Well, with that, uh, thanks for listening. Oh, and my wife just came home. Hi, hon. Jerking off down here? <laughs> Jerking off to great literature. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, thanks for listening, and I will uh, see you next week. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people. Not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com, which uh, basically just points you to Mastodon. Why did I go all in with Mastodon? I have no idea. But if you go there, it'll uh, point you to my link tree where you can listen to episodes, which is confusing uh, and meticulous. Uh, but if you want to go to just my link tree, which is L I N K T R dot. E-E slash Nuzzlehouse, it'll uh, point you to all the rest of my shows. Like uh, Glenn Reads Books to You, which you're listening to right now, uh, Just Dating the Curious Mind, where my wife and I uh, write uh, paranormal smut and then publish it on Amazon. And also Nuzzlehouse's CBS Radio Mystery Theater, where we basically create our own episodes of Radio Mystery Theater, a show from the 70s, uh, because they don't make them anymore. Damn it, we want to hear something new. Oh, I'm also on Instagram, uh, something that I try to use but dislike, which is uh, Instagram.com slash House Nuzzle. And uh, the lesser now, thanks to uh, Elon Musk, uh, Twitter. Used to be my home, and now I can't stand it, which is uh, Twitter.com slash House Nuzzle. And since since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com. But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's gotta be one left.